Welcome back, or if it's your first time, I'm glad to have you here. I'm Matt Fendora, and you're tuned in to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, where we journey together toward becoming the best version of ourselves. Using mind, body, heart, and spirit as the anchors of our podcast, join me as we set sail into the depths of self-discovery, unraveling the interconnected layers that shape our growth. If you resonate with today's conversation, consider subscribing to the podcast. Your support means the world to us and ensures you never miss an empowering episode. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Choose to Live, Love and Grow podcast, a podcast all about being the best version of yourself through mind, body, heart and spirit. Today, I'm here with John Chow. John is an integrative NLP coach who is obsessed with human behavior and the unconscious mind. He spent 15 years in the fashion industry where he carefully studied the human response to trends and shopping and spent both in corporate and entrepreneurial world. As a coach, he now works with people, helping them understand their programming so they, so that he can help reprogram themselves by first getting rid of old emotional baggage so they can imagine their better future more clearly. Some of John's proudest accomplishments include he emceed 11 weddings, planned more than 10 events for 700 to 1,000 teenagers, and gave a 30-minute presentation. He worked for Amex and collaborated with luxury brands like McLaren, Cartier, Louis Vuitton, and others. And he transformed the lives of more than 20 people so far through coaching directly. What makes John's heart sing? Seeing people be set free from their emotional baggage so they can imagine and live towards their brighter future. Without further ado, here's John. How are you doing today, John? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited. This is uh, what our fourth attempt to get on this podcast and work together and have a discussion, which I've been really, really excited about because it's something that as a coach, it's important to learn this tool and it's something I haven't learned yet. So I'm excited to hear what tools you can help people use or that you use yourself as a coach. Yeah, it would be great to have this discussion. I'm sure there's lots of things that you also already know that may not be in your forefront mind. So we can probably extract some of that of you and you can see how prepared you are as a coach as well. Sounds great. Okay. So first question I have for you is, can you share your journey on how you got into the fashion industry and then pivoted to coaching? Sure. Yeah. I've had, like many other people, I've probably had three different careers leading up until now. Um, When I was first going to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So uh, my parents were like, science is the future. And so we, um, I went into biochemistry and just kind of did stuff related to that area, uh, which is very prototypical um, kind of parental conditioning type thing, um, but not at all what I wanted to do. So I got into the program um, and then dropped out in probably third year, um, decided to go work for a year to get some experience and then realized that business is what I really wanted to do. Mm. So uh, while I was going through that whole journey, um, before I started college or probably around the same time, um, I have an older brother and he uh, had worked for Panera Public for about four years at that point. And he had quit to go work at another job. And basically, he came up to me one day and he was like, John, it's time for you to carry on the family discount. <laughs> and so, of course, when you work for a company, you get discounts and um, they're quite uh, good. 
So I, he, his manager at that time at a different location was opening a location really close to where I was living. And so he basically got me a job in the stockroom because I knew nothing about retail. And I worked my way from the stockroom into visual merchandising, worked my way from visual merchandising into customer service, worked my way from customer service into sales. And each level, I had no idea what I was doing. So learning how to do inventory management and then learning how to take care of the merchandising and, and stuff in the store and then starting to interact with people, which I was good at in some ways, but also kind of not. I didn't have the self-confidence in a lot of ways. So it was a lot easier in the beginning as a cashier or whatever support person to do that. And then when I started doing sales, um, I would butcher a lot of conversations. And it was one of those great training environments where, you know, these are people I may never see again. And so it was great to be able to just try and like talk to them and help them and style them and whatever that might be. Um, so all in all, I spent about seven years in that environment. I got recruited to go work in luxury, uh, worked in luxury for another period of time, worked for a men's custom suiting company that was a startup, and then went back to luxury um, and eventually got recruited to work for American Express. So, and then I started my own uh, custom women's student company. So all in all, it was just a bunch of journeys of things that had happened and just different opportunities for growth to see things from different levels from, uh, I guess, more common retail to luxury retail, that the behaviors of those are very, very different. Um, and the mindsets of people who desire those things are also different to working for a startup, um, to working for corporate, to having my own startup. It was all just a very fun journey. Do you feel like there was one point in that journey that was a highlight of that kind of helped you take that next leap forward? Um, I don't really know. There was something that I think a lot of things, It's well, I guess I'll say this to everybody who's listening right now. You might feel like there are things in your life that you've done that feels random. You know, we look at some people, they go through a particular journey. It's step one, step two, step three, and then they have it all planned out. And it seems so smooth and direct. And let's say a friend who goes through med school, whatever it is, they invest 10 years of their life. They're specialized and they don't do anything that's outside of the boundaries of that. And then there are the rest of us who feel like we've done 10,000 things that are all seemingly random. But uh, one of my favorite books that I ever read maybe a couple of years ago was called Range by David Epstein. And it says, it talks about the benefits of generalists uh, and how being a generalist trumps being a specialist because all the different things that we do as a generalist help us have a perspective that allows us to see things from many ways that are better almost than a specialist who only see things in one way. And so every time I got into a new environment, it was very uncomfortable. I also did mention throughout that period of time, I worked in HR. I was a headhunter for a period of time. Um, and then I probably did something else as well that I can't remember. But um, there are things that all seem to be kind of um, like, what's the combination of like learning sales, but also learning things about fashion design, but also understanding the luxury world, but also talking to uh, being an account manager for different companies. Like they may all seem different and we might look at ourselves and be like, oh, I haven't really done anything with my life. I've just done really random things. And yet I would be able to say today as a coach, just helped me vastly to be able to have all these different experiences. And it's become accumulation. I, my branding is the John Collective because of the collective of all the experiences that I've had that allows me to be who I am today. 
and it, it will also be for everyone who's listening right now. Mm, that's a very good point. Um, the ability to have other people's perspective, especially I feel like in these current times is so important. Everybody only sees things one way. It's like, hey, this is the title that's been given to me. So this is my, this means that this has to be my viewpoint compared to somebody who has, like you said, the collective of experiences and saying, hey, I can understand and have that empathy toward other people. Correct. Yeah. It's kind of like, let's say same thing. I was born in Asia and then I grew up in the Western world in North America. So which perspective is right? Right. I have a lot of people, including my parents, who've been in North America for 30 years now. They still still don't speak the language. They still don't really have an understanding of the culture. They're living in their own bubble because they can. And that's the reality, which is totally fine. It just happens to not be my reality. And so my reality is both worlds and understanding that it would be no different than people who let's say shop at a, a more common brand versus people who shop in luxury one's not better than the other but there's a motivation and that's there behind different people and their life circumstances and what really draws them right and so how many times are we talking about during covid there may have been some money given by the government and teenagers or millennials are blowing it on three thousand dollar bags instead of whatever what is going on with our society how much of human motivation right now is i'm not quite too sure who i am therefore i'm going to go out there and get a nice car or get a nice bag or get a nice something to show people my worth versus working on it for myself and people are coming from broken families or neighborhoods that aren't necessarily really good. Like you also just mentioned, there's not a lot of conversation now about different perspectives. We mostly talk to people who think the same as us. And mm -hmm. then therefore we're in an environment of groupthink all the time and validation from people who think the same way, which is very unhealthy for us. So how do we come into a conversation and hold attention to be able to have a debate to be able to talk with somebody who doesn't agree with us to the core of who they are and still be okay with it at the very end of the conversation. It's just a thing that's a little bit more rare these days. Absolutely. And people getting so defensive of not agreeing with, with somebody else as if you have to agree. You do have, you can't leave a conversation without absolutely agreeing. Yeah. Which is like, why? And I think part of it is because we're more emotionally fragile. And this comes a lot to do with the work that I'm doing right now, which is emotional baggage, right? So mm -hmm. our emotional baggage is if I didn't get validated as a certain part in my life, then I crave validation. Or if I didn't get approval in a certain part of my life, then I crave to be able to have belongingness with another person. So why is it that we seek to be on the same page with other people? Because the tension of not being that, of not knowing that the other person approves of us could be too much for us to handle emotionally. And so we don't, we're not comfortable walking away knowing that the other person thinks we're wrong and, you know, full of ridiculous ideas. Or we also may take the criticism of our ideas and take it personally. And so if somebody doesn't agree with our idea, it doesn't mean they don't agree with who we are as a person. It's mm -hmm. very fundamentally different things, but we haven't maybe necessarily worked through all those. And so our emotional baggage causes us to react in a way that does not allow for us to have peace with who we are. So as a coach, how do you find that emotional baggage? Most of the time, uh, our, my clients come with a certain area of their life that feels like it's a little bit on fire or a lot on fire. Mm 
And so in NLP, they have six different areas of life that we talk about. Uh, it is physical health, your career, your romantic relationship, your family life, personal development, and spirituality. So there's these six categories of life. And typically, and of course, all of them are integrated in every single way. But one feels like it is more uh, on fire than the rest, or is like the big domino that can affect the rest. So for example, when I first um, experienced NLP, I wanted coaching on my physical health, or I needed help with my physical health. Because I realized that if I didn't have my physical health, then I wouldn't be able to focus on my career. Then I wouldn't be able to focus on all this other stuff. And that was my order of um, priority in that sense. And so same thing with other people. For them, it might be if I don't find, if my romantic relationship is falling apart, then I can't concentrate on my physical health or my career or this and that. One thing seems to be the more dominant thing. So when they come, then we do something called a breakthrough session. And it's something that takes about five to eight hours where we go through somebody's detailed personal history on that area of life. Typically, it also intercrosses with other areas of life and we find out what the greater problem is. Most of the time, we're so used to looking at the presenting problems, the surface level problems, and we think by getting rid of that, the things will be okay. But really, it's the deeper rooted problem that we need to resolve that will allow for everything else to then just not feel like they're a problem. And then we go through a process called a mental and emotional release, where we release uh, major emotions that are all tied to our personal history so that the emotional charge that's there now becomes neutralized. And we don't feel so charged up about something. And somebody might come to us and say the same thing. Your wife might come to you and say the same thing, Matt. And it may in the past have upset you, but now the emotional charge is taken away. And so she's just saying another word, basically. Or behaviors of other people who used to trigger us might now seem like they're just silly. And that's the beauty of having a mental and emotional release is that the emotional charge no longer triggers us. Wow. I could see that just sounds so powerful. The ability to find that a deep rooted issue and release it to where it doesn't, it doesn't have that type of control over you anymore. Yeah. Well, in reality, and, and all of your listeners may have heard this from previous episodes before, but problems are literally just problems that we create. So don't get me wrong. <laughs> we, we all have like problems are real. And at the same time, the degree of how serious that problem is in our mind is what we create it to be. Mm -hmm. So we can have a problem and our reaction to it could be, or our response to it could be, oh, okay, I have this problem. Let me deal with it. And the problem is gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we could also have the same problem, but our response to it could be, my life is falling apart. My health is being impacted. I can't stop thinking about this. Everything is going to go wrong. And then there is much more drastic. And so I've had periods of my life where I was so stressed out, my hair was falling out. I was so stressed out that I created an autoimmune illness in my body. And I all of a sudden had vasculitis and parts of my foot was um, creating ulcers and my flesh was falling off of my foot. Like it was just weird. And, you know, you've had Rosemary and other people on that talk about gut health and how that's impacted by our emotions as well. So our emotional response to the problems that we have in our life is really what is the more interesting thing. We can either have a more neutralized response to it, or we can have a very extreme response to it. And it's all dependent on our emotional charge. 
how can somebody who recognizes that they have this emotional charge without going to a coach, is there something that they could do themselves, a technique that they can do themselves to help alleviate that? Maybe not necessarily get to the deepest of deep, but like some something like while they actually start digging into that. Mm-hmm. This isn't a formal NLP technique. This is more of a coaching technique. And so we call this worst case scenario, right? And so essentially, let's say I have a, a problem and I just start to think about it. I'm like, what's the worst case that could happen? And then I start to just talk about how bad this could be and how bad that could be. And then all of a sudden I create this worst case scenario that almost by saying it out loud, it feels silly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, oh, actually it's not that bad. I built it up to be way too big in my head. And so when we do something like that and have that level of self-reflection, whether it's through talking out loud or through journaling, then we start to realize that a lot of the times it's just a perspective where our perspective of the situation was thrown out of whack. And we just need to realign our perspective to realize that things aren't as bad as we're creating in our heads. Because most of the time we are not used to living in our bodies. We're used to living in our heads. And then our heads create, you know, ruminations and all this other stuff. And then we start to like mentally project things that would probably never happen. And that's the whole point of anxiety, right? Anxiety is I'm thinking about 10 steps of what could happen in the future when I haven't even had the first problem yet. And if we can draw ourselves back, reel in that uh, habit and not project 10 steps out and just be like, I'm going to learn how to be in the present and just solve the thing that's right next to me, then we will start to see that our problems are actually quite okay. And it's just that we made our problems to be bigger than they actually are. So when you're working on this emotional baggage, do you focus specifically on using NLP techniques? In this case, yes, because the release of the emotions is really important. Now, there are different people who use different ways of releasing, even in a coaching conversation. I can imagine this with you. You know, you're quite somebody who has the ability to hold safe space for people. So when you talk to them, and this could be coaching or just even in life, I'm sure you've had friends, family members, your spouse who you've talked to and you're like, what's wrong? And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> and then they just kind of like talk about all the things that's wrong. They let out a lot of emotions. They might be crying. They might be angry. They might be whatever. And then afterwards, they're like, Matt, I feel great now. Thanks. And you're like, I didn't really do anything. I just sat there and listened to you. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's one of the really cool things about people who know how to hold space like yourself. It's not about us giving them guidance or advice because they don't need that. When they have a problem, they just need to vent and to let it all out. And the release of those emotions now causes the charge to be neutralized. It's like they just let they let out the charge of the emotions. And then now it doesn't feel like it's such a big deal. Now, as human beings, we're meant to do that, right? Even as if you look at animals, a lot of times animals shake. They shake their bodies. Or if you look at children, you have children, you have young children. Mm -hmm. And when they're really scared or really angry, really emotional, there's a little bit of a shaking that's happening. Why? Because our bodies are designed to let out emotion. Mm. And as we grow, we become disconnected from our bodies and we stop doing certain behaviors that seem socially inappropriate that we would never think about when we were three years old. And so we forget how to let out the emotional charge in our body and we hold it in our body, which is what causes a lot of illness. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes letting out emotions might just be talking to a really good friend or a coach 
And then in this case, with NLP, we're not letting go of the emotions of our conscious mind, which is what typically happens. We're also letting go of the emotions of the unconscious mind. Um, so it goes layers much deeper. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important to have some type of movement because your body needs to release that energy, whether that's something as simple as just dancing, being goofy or anything like that. Your, your body's trying to find a way to get rid of it, no matter whatever, in whatever way it can. Yeah, it's why people talk about having a runner's high or why people feel really good after a workout. Or why there's a change, kind of like what you just said, change in their mood after they dance. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible for us to not be in a good mood after we move our bodies because mm -hmm. it's a letting go of the emotional charge. But we have a very sedated lifestyle now. A lot of us are sitting a lot. We also have this really weird thing where like, we don't want to seem socially not cool. So we don't dance because we're not good at dancing. Or we don't do this. Yeah. Or we don't do that. We don't sing karaoke. We don't, whatever. Just like be ourselves because we're too worried about our image versus children don't care about their image at all. They just let out what they need to let out because it's better to feel good in their bodies and mm -hmm. embarrass themselves publicly than it is for them to hold things in and feel bad in their bodies. Mm -hmm. So now I have a reason to explain to my wife why I'm dancing just randomly while she's stressed out while cooking or something. I could say, hey, I'm just releasing my emotions here, hon. And you can grab her hand and dance with her and turn the fire down and both of you have a dance party and she'll resume cooking in a much better mood because she's also let go of some tension as well. And so I think this is actually quite ironic. A lot of the work that I'm doing right now is in masculine and feminine dynamics. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this in a certain sense is that like what happens usually when we're in a certain emotional mode, what's the most helpful thing is actually something that shocks us. Right. And this is actually a very silly illustration, but it works. What do you do when you have hiccups? One of the best things you can do is you can scare somebody. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, I'm shocked out of whatever physical response that I have. And it's the same thing. And so I'm not saying that this is appropriate in every single situation, but I'm very tempted for you to try this. If you have a particular argument with your wife one day and she's just upset about something, instead of communicating and be like, I'm sorry, and this and that and whatever, grab her and give her a big kiss and hug her and be like, I love you. Thank you for talking to me about this. And then just see that she, like, she'll just be shocked out of her emotions. Why? Because the problem was never about really the problem. It's the emotional charge around the problem. Mm -hmm. And so by shifting out of the emotional charge, by being shocked into a different feeling altogether, then we'll realize the problem is just something that could be handled very easily. But she was mad and now she doesn't have to be mad because the emotions are just emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite things I've read was emotions aren't negative or positive. It's about our reaction to them that's negative and positive. Exactly. And so that's why something as silly as grabbing her, giving a really big kiss, hugging her and being like, I love you. Thank you for telling me this. It makes her feel seen. A lot of times we think what makes people feel seen is like listening. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm all about couples counseling, but talking only gets so far. Mm -hmm. And at one point, it just feels like we've done all the talking already. Nothing else is going to change. And so what really needs to happen is an elicitation of a completely different emotion. Mm -hmm. And the connectedness that happens that needs to happen. You know, why do people say that makeup sex is so good? 
why do people say that whatever and i'm not sure what audience level you have so you can edit this out if you need to <laughs> um but like why do they because there's a reconnection of people after a conversation that allows for them to connect emotionally and if we're just talking about things and we're like, okay, cool, we figured it out. Great. You go your way. I go my way. There's still a disconnection. Yeah. How do we bring people together, especially couples that then allow for there to be a, a feeling of unity and togetherness that it's them against the world versus them against each other? Yeah, I can. That makes sense. I've seen it where you want to listen to somebody, you want to make sure that they feel that seen and feel heard and that you're recognizing something like that. But that only goes so far because especially if it is maybe the same issue that comes up over and over and over again, you're repeating the same words, but there's no actions to support that. So they don't feel that connection that you know what the problem is and that it's actually going to change. Correct. And then this also then goes into another topic of NLP, which is the our wiring. And so logically, you and I can have a conversation and be like, okay, you're like, John, don't do this anymore. I'm like, okay, you're right. This is a bad habit of mine. And yet 30 seconds later, I go do that because I'm unconsciously wired to do something for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so we call this secondary gain. There is something that I benefit from by doing a particular habit of mine, whether it is out of compensation of a specific emotion. And so let's say, for example, you and I could be talking and be like, John, it's really not good to emotionally eat. And, you know, all this stuff is really not good for you. And I think it's much better for you to hold on to a regiment of eating and this and this and that. You know, what benefit is there to eat a whole tub of ice cream? And I'm like, yeah, you're so right. I, this makes so much sense, Matt. Thank you so much. And then something happens to me and then I'll just go out and get a bucket of ice cream and I'll eat it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's an emotional response. We're emotional beings. And the programming of my response to self-soothe, which is a habit, is in my unconscious mind, not in my conscious mind. That's why talking about our problems with another person may or may not be that helpful because we're not actually changing our unconscious wiring we're just getting onto conscious on the same page consciously with another person mm -hmm. so i think that's a great example to actually discuss is that emotional connection to eating ice cream right that seems to be very a common thing so how do you how do you change that how do you affect that change in the right direction a lot of it is i mean so what what is like i'm sorry to really backtrack a lot, what is coaching? Coaching is another person that's holding space for you, asking you questions, allowing for you to figure out or be almost back work backwards on then understanding what causes us to be who we are, the programming of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so programming comes very young. It comes from our family. It comes from our society, our neighborhoods. Something may have happened that then somebody says something that now gets programmed into our way of thinking. So what a coach does best is hold space and ask questions to be like, John, what is causing the emotional eating? And then I'll be like, I don't know, because it's not in my conscious mind. So then more questions get asked and more questions get asked. And then all of a sudden I could, my unconscious mind could bring up a memory of me to say, oh, I'm not getting my needs met relationally. Therefore, I'm going to get my needs met physically in a different way. And that's why I emotionally eat. That's just one example.
And so for we all have different reasons why we emotionally do things like emotional eating. And we have to figure out, A, first of all, what triggers us. And then we figure out what strategy. It's almost kind of like playing chess. There's a lot of strategies, mm -hmm. right? And then when a person plays chess so much, they're unconsciously just knowing what the next strategy is for a particular situation in chess. Well, life is like chess. We all have strategies within us that we know what to do and how to respond in a given situation because we've been programmed that way. So that is important for us to figure out what strategy we've adopted to getting triggered by something, therefore getting into a space where then we emotionally, let's say, eat in this situation. What's the 10-step process of the strategy that gets us there? When we understand that, we understand the strategy, which is very important. And then we also may be able to dig deeper into our past to find out what the correlation is to our needs that's causing us to respond this way. And then that's the second part, which is also very important. So we've done a lot of talking about NLP, but we got so far ahead of ourselves, we didn't actually explain what NLP is. So could you explain um, what it stands for and just a general definition or idea of what its impact is? Yes, thank you. And that's why you're the host and you are <laughs> keeping us on track. Um, I would say that NLP is, so NLP is Neuro Linguistics Programming. That's what it stands for. And essentially, there is the more everyday use of NLP, and then there is a higher advanced way of using NLP. The everyday use of NLP is the use of communication. And so like most of us, um, we are, or communication is a work in progress. And I think that's one of, communications is highly undervalued in a lot of ways. And I would say that most of us are average or mediocre communicators. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to relate this to health, which is actually kind of interesting. Recently, I've been, I'm a big fan of the UFC. So, you know, Dana White has gone through a physical transformation recently because he's been working with Gary Brecka and they figured out what his issues are and how to get to his baseline. So he's been living in the deficits and his health has not been very enjoyable. Now that he's in his baseline, he's, he's like, wow, life is great. I'm getting all of this stuff done. But that's only him at his baseline, not even him at his really good. Mm -hmm. And so same thing with communication. We might be living with subpar communication and we're very frustrated with life. And we're like, I'm not getting anything that I want. I talk to another person. They don't understand me. You know, I'm bad at negotiation and all this other stuff. And it's because our ability to communicate is low. So then we have to train ourselves and learn how to communicate normally or healthily. When we're at a baseline of having really good communication, then what we're saying is gets across to other people. And we also know how to you know, listen as well. And so then we start to get what we want in life because we know how to negotiate. We know how to communicate. We know how to debate. We know how to do all these really great things related to communication. And that is the basic understanding of communication is NLP because it's a linguistic thing. We're, we're understanding how our language connects to our brain, neuro-linguistics programming. Mm -hmm. The higher level of understanding neuro-linguistics or the more advanced level is not just communication, conscious mind to conscious mind, but co communication to our unconscious mind. And then that allows for there to be a reprogramming of our unconscious mind, which is really powerful. So mm -hmm. the common way is for us to talk to each other without changing any programming. And then the second and more advanced way is to be able to start to reprogram the things that we don't want to have. And no different, let's say a computer that comes, you know, I've had a lot of friends who um, maybe bought a Mac, and they're used to using Windows. 
So then they install this thing where they get to use both Mac OS and Windows um, at the same time on their Mac is because they're used to using a certain language or certain programming. And so we have the hardware. We also have developed you know, the software of our programming, but we may or may not like our software that we've been programmed with because we weren't the ones who programmed it. Our environment or our parents were. So as we're growing up or as we're maturing or as adults now, we get to decide whether we like the programming and whether we want to keep it or whether we want to reprogram ourselves into who we desire to be. Mm -hmm. Is there a one technique that you could provide the audience that they can do themselves as an NLP technique to help them in anything that they need? Mm, that's a really good one. Um, I will say, so like the, the best technique I, I would really... I found helpful for myself and a lot of people is the technique of visualization. Mm. And so that would be, let's say you have something big coming up. Maybe it's an interview, maybe it's a date, maybe it's something. And so um, for people who are listening right now, the technique is very simple. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think 15 minutes into the future after the result of the thing that has happened. So let's let's say it's a date or it's a uh, it's an interview. You're thinking 15 minutes after the interview or 15 minutes after the date, mm -hmm. and at that 15 minutes in the future, you're thinking about how well it went, and you're feeling all the feelings of the excitement and the happiness and the joy and the confidence that came from you just killing it. And you have no idea what happened in between, what happened actually in the date or what happened actually in the interview, but you're feeling the feelings of how you just completely dominated that situation 15 mm -hmm. minutes after. And by spending time thinking about what you look like, the smile on your face, the joy that is there, feeling the feelings of that as well, then it heavily impacts the way that we go into the date or the interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's it's when you do something like that, you're you you're telling your body this feeling is possible, and so you're yes. going into whatever it is as yes, like I might have all these fears, anxiety, insecurities, but because I felt this feeling, I know that I can knock this interview out of the park. I can do well on this date, whatever. Correct. Mental rehearsal is one of the most strongest things that we've ever seen in psychology research. Right? They've done research where they've gathered three groups of people, one group of people who are practicing every single day, throwing free throws of basketball, right? You have mm -hmm. another group of people who are just visualizing throwing a free throw and visualizing it going in. And they're not doing any actual practicing. And then you have another group of people who are not doing either. And then you ask the three groups after two weeks of doing that to start throwing free throws. And the amount of people in group one who get the free throws in are the same or the percentage of th free throws that get in are the same for people who physically practice as those who mentally rehearsed. Wow. And so this study has been done on in very different ways. Um, and it just, and not just with basketball, but many other things. And it talks about just the power of our mind, our, our how we're mentally rehearsing things. That's why we in life are usually struggling. Why? Because we're thinking worst case scenario. We're projecting into the future of what's going to go wrong. We're mentally rehearsing what's going to go wrong. 
mm-hmm. right? It's like when I was really young, I've, I've never been good at video games, and I'm, I, you know, I, I still am not. Um, but when I was little, I would play these driving games, right? And then the, the I had to drive through something, and then there's an object there that I'm not supposed to hit, and I just keep thinking about, don't hit this, don't hit this, don't hit this. What happens? You hit it. Exactly. This is because I mentally rehearsed and visualized not wanting something to happen, but because I visualized it and I made it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an incredible, incredible thing how powerful our minds are if we are just we unlock that understanding of how it works. Correct. And once we understand it and we start to apply it into our lives, then we realize that we're actually much more in control of our lives than our circumstances. Could you share with us, there's a story when you first got your NLP certification, there was a story that you shared, which I thought was crazy. Um, And I would love if you could share that story now. It happened to do with food. Yes, absolutely. I was doing my, so the certification or the training um, has two different parts. So the first level training is only four days long now. Um, I'll share the link with Matt so you guys can go check it out. It's in person. It used to be a seven-day training that cost $4,000. Now it's a four-day training because they realized that people, the general public has a higher level of awareness now and they don't need to learn some of the other stuff. So now a four-day training, they've also subsidized it from the advanced training so that you can only you can get it for $300 instead of $4,000. It's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to one and one of the first things we learned is about like mind mapping. And unconsciously, there are there's a part of our mind that stores all the emotions of food that we like. And so, you know, if I think about moose track ice cream, then I think about French toast and I think about whatever, they're all in the same part of my mind. Mm-hmm. There's another part of my mind that thinks about food that I don't like. So like cough medicine or, you know, weird fruits or whatever that is, like all these things are there. Now, the there are visual representations of these things in our unconscious mind. And what we, we can do actually in NLP is we can take the visualization of a food that we really like. And I saw this in person. So there was a, um, a woman who volunteered to be the demo and she loves the specific kind of kettle cooked potato chips. And she would eat a family sized bag at one time. And sometimes it would be what her meal would be. Mm. And she wants to stop eating it because she's addicted to it. Excuse me. And she knows it's not good for her, but she can't help but to eat it. And she knows that if she were to stop eating it, her health would be dramatically better. She was a little bit older as well. So then um, the technique is, I'm not going to explain it fully, but we were able to get her to swap the visualization of what represented potato chips. For her, she hated seafood. I don't know why I love seafood, but she hated seafood. So that had a particular mental visualization for her as well. And we were able to get her to remap potato chips to have the same visualization in her mind to seafood. And then all of a sudden she, the technique was done and, you know, they had assistance um, all over nearby Walmarts and whatever to buy the thing that she was really addicted to, to see, to test it. Mm-hmm. So they got the exact brand and the exact chip that she was addicted to. And they walked it up to her when she was on stage 
And she started having almost like wanting to throw up when she saw the potato chips because the visual we had mind mapped her to now feel the same response that she would have to seafood. When she sees seafood, she almost wants to throw up. And so it was a really cool example of the power of remapping or rewiring our unconscious mind. Wow. That that's crazy that you can go from something that you love so much and not too long after that, be completely repulsed by it just by mind mapping. Yes, because our brain is a supercomputer mm -hmm. and we, we don't realize that. We don't realize how easily we can reprogram our brains. We think that we're just in a glob of whatever thoughts and this and that. And we don't really understand the principles of how we work emotionally and mentally. When we start to do that, we start to realize what we could possibly do with our minds. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to one personal question. We were talked about how you were your your original journey, how you started with the fashion industry. And I'm curious, do you think that um, given your background in the fashion industry, do you think studying human responses and trends and shopping influence uh, influenced your approach as an NLP coach and how you interact with your clients seeing those trends? Mm -hmm, for sure. I mean, I even myself, so I'll just talk about I went to um, kind of the beginning of my, uh, I don't want to, I don't know what, like, I don't want to use words spiritually awakening, but like, you know, a, a massive change in my life was when I went to a Joe Dispenza week-long retreat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I shared this on my podcast as well, one of the things I really didn't expect after going to the event was I got home and then I looked at my closet and I was like, why do I have so much stuff? And for the first time, I threw away clothes that I was so attached to since high school. Wow. And I donated them all. And I got rid of like, I don't know, 30 or 40% of my closet. Wow. And I think what's really neat is that we don't really even understand the impacts of how we're motivated with possessions. So that's one thing. The second thing is we're all programmed. Like what is a fashion trend? A fashion trend is programming. Mm -hmm. It's the world or a company telling you that these really cool people like these set of clothes or this set of clothes. Therefore you should like it too. And so then people follow the trend. They mm -hmm. get programmed into thinking that that's what they want to wear, or they get programmed into thinking if I wear this, then I'm cool, but it has nothing to do with the person at all. And literally, it could be anything. You know, if all of a sudden a designer brand says, wear a garbage bag, it's going to look cool, then you're going to wear a garbage bag because it looks cool because that person says it looks cool. Mm -hmm. We are so easily programmed. And that's what I got out of working in the fashion industry is to realize how easily programmed we all are. We're sheep, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I just get told what to do, what to like, what to eat, you know, all this other stuff for the sake of what? Showing people on instagram that we are on trend and that we're doing cool things and then we get approval by other people for what it's mm -hmm. all for external validation because most of the time we feel lost we don't know who we are therefore we need external validation versus feeling like we have our internal validation mm -hmm. yeah that's that's it's crazy for someone to point that out because i feel like deep down we kind of know that you know we're in a way we're being programmed in certain ways but when yeah. somebody comes out and says that you're like no you, you want to get a little defensive but at the same time you're like mm, yeah you're you're right you're right 
Correct. So one of the things I did very intentionally when I worked in luxury was all the luxury stuff that I have, it doesn't have a logo. If you look at how different brands sell different things, some of the things that are sold by that brand has huge logos on them and other ones have, do not. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one day I was walking into American Express into the marketing department and I was wearing these Prada unlined Safiano leather loafers. They're like, I wouldn't say exclusive, but they don't get made very often mm -hmm. and they are relatively expensive. Um, and then there was another girl who was there who was wearing a lower level Prada thing, but it had the Prada logo on it. And then so everybody commented, oh, nice shoes to this girl because the Prada logo was on it. Mm -hmm. But they didn't realize that my shoe was twice the cost of her shoe. Mm -hmm. And it was the higher level, better thing that Prada makes that they don't need to have a logo on it. Or the logo is, you know, em embossed into it. It's like a, a stamp. So if you saw in the right angle, you would see product. Mm -hmm. And, but that's just what happens. It's the conditioning of our mind tells us to look for logos and the logos sim symbolize expensiveness or whatever it is yeah. versus us actually being aware of what the things are and the quality of them and why they were made and things like that. And so I've made a very intention, uh, intentional decision, conscious decision for most of what I wear to not have a brand. Because if it's expensive, I bought it for me. Mm -hmm. I bought it for me to wear because it's good. They've all lasted me 10 years or 15 years because they're well-made. And um, I'm going to keep having them. And I don't need people to know that they're a designer mm -hmm. because I'm not there for the trend or for the praise. I'm there for the thing itself. Mm -hmm. And that is also something for us to decide. Most of us want to wear something for other people to recognize because we have that emotional need for validation. Mm -hmm. How can we then look inward and be like, okay, why do I make the decisions that I make when it comes to shopping? Mm -hmm. What am I trying to say to other people? And what am I trying to say to myself? Absolutely. And I want to make a note that your worth is not defined by what or who you wear. If you want to wear something, then because it brings you joy, then by all means, you know, comfortability, joy, whatever, but it's not what you wear doesn't define your worth or, you know, yeah, just does, it doesn't define your worth. I just want to make that well, point. Matt, it's, the, it's the actually the exact opposite. There are so many things online that anybody can Google right now. Google the trend of like how wealthy people dress compared to how people who want to pretend like they have money dress. And if you look at Mark Zuckerberg mm. and all these other people, they wear clothes from Walmart. They mm -hmm. couldn't care at all whether they wore designer stuff or not because they're billionaires. And then you have millionaires who dress, you know, relatively slightly flashy because they, you know, want to enjoy their money. And then you have people who can't afford the lifestyle, but they want to be seen with those mm -hmm. things. So they drive a nice car and they drive. Mm -hmm. And so really, if you look at wealth, people who are really wealthy don't care about what they wear at all. People who mm -hmm. are less wealthy care so much more. It's the exact opposite, which is very ironic. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. So we're coming up to the end of the podcast. So this is the part where I ask all the guests three questions. And these three questions are going to be based off of the podcast name, Live, Love, and Grow. Great. So the first question that I have for you is, what advice can you share about how to create a life that leaves a positive impact on the world? Mm, I would say do what we feel called to do and not what is trendy or what matters to other people's eyes. So for example, had I gone down the route of being a biochemist, 
I could have done something that impacted the world, mm -hmm. but I would have done it because my parents wanted me to do it, not because I wanted to do it myself. So how can we be those who have the courage to be able to answer our soul's calling and go and do something that we feel like we really want to do to create impact on the world? And also, what does it mean to have impact on the world? You know, if I were to change one person's life, is that impact on the world? Or do I need to change a million lives? Mm. And I think a lot of that is our ego, yeah. right? And so how do I know that that one person's life who I change isn't the, the person who then goes off and change a million people's lives? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to, for us to think about why we want impact and what does it mean for us to go and produce impact? Mm -hmm. Great, great point. What are some practical ways people can cultivate self-love? Mm. I think very intentionally wondering why they don't love themselves. Ooh. So let's say, for example, if I look at the mirror and I'm criticizing myself, why? Where did that voice come from? Where do those thoughts come from? If you look at if you put a baby in front of the mirror, they're smiling at it. They're laughing at it. They love who they see in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And so somehow, somewhere along the road, we were programmed to not like ourselves for some reason. Shame came into our life for some reason. So if we were to work backwards and figure out what that is, then we might be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and start to accept and love who we are. And ironically, when that happens, then we start to become the person that we love. And maybe it's not about the weight loss. It's not about X, Y, and Z. But ironically, when we start to accept ourselves, we do enjoy the benefits. of, And then a lot of those things start to happen. Mm -hmm. Another great point. So last question I have is, what is one actionable tip someone can do today to grow 1% better? Mm, I would say just like decide consistency, decide to have consistency. Mm. And growing 1% better happens only when we choose to grow 1% better. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen when we decide to be distracted and do other stuff. And so if you say that you're going to do burpees, then do burpees. If you say you're going to run, run. If you say you're going to read, read. And just by doing the thing that you say you're going to do, you'll get 1% better. Yeah. Great answer again. So how can people connect with you? Uh, so you can find me um, on most of my handles are the same thing as the John Collective. So I'm on LinkedIn a lot. You can find me on LinkedIn at the John Collective. I'm on Instagram at the John Collective. And my website is www.thejohncollective.com. Um, and you can find me to book a free coaching call in 2024. I'm offering 350 hours of free coaching because that's my way of you know giving back to the world. And for all the things that I've learned, I want to see how I can uh, pay it forward. And yeah. so if anybody who's listening is interested in some free coaching, reach out to me. This is the work that I'm choosing to do for 2024. Yeah. And I hope people take advantage of that. Nobody, most people don't offer things for free. And this is somebody who's, who obviously we could tell after, you know, this podcast is somebody who knows what they're doing and cares about what they're doing. So this is a great opportunity. And I hope you guys jump in on that opportunity. Uh, last question I have is how can people support you? Great. Um, I would say most of it is connect um, with me and find out what it is that I'm doing. Uh, so whether it's on LinkedIn, I post a lot there. If you're if you like the content that I produce and you want to share it, then that's probably the best way to support me. Um, otherwise, I would just say like be an awesome human being. And our world is going into a crazy place, and 
Uh, we just don't have people who think about kindness as much or are intentionally helping other people laugh or like, and it's not just even about doing a random act of kindness, but just be a kind person. And I think together when we all consciously choose to be awesome, then we're really supporting the greater work that we're all doing, including yourself, right? And the world becomes a better place. Um, and hopefully we'll both be out of a job because there aren't people who need coaching because life <laughs> is, you know, really good. And then we can think about doing something else uh, or supporting people in other ways. But um, it's all about really at the end of the day, how we make people feel. And I would love for people to support me by helping other people in their lives feel better. I love that. Um, John, thank you for being on here, you know, four times a charm, but it was absolutely worth the wait. And you packed so much value in such a short time that I hope people listen to this over and over to really understand the impact that they have over their own lives and that they can actually get help when they need help. Thanks. And the time passed really quickly. I wanted to ask you some questions as well, but maybe we'll do another episode another time with a little bit more discussion. Thank you for letting me dominate this space. Um, but I really enjoyed being on here. Awesome. Well, we definitely, I'll definitely take you up on that offer. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to live, love, and grow to be the best version of you. Oh, and one more thing. If you or a young man that you know suffer from victim mindset or are not reaching their fullest potential, then visit mattfindora.com to see how we can work together to become the best version of ourselves. That's mattfindora.com. The link will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you and have an outstanding day.